This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, located in scenic downtown Benson. They got a new location. It's absolutely gorgeous. Check it out. And by listeners like you, go to Patreon backslash Two-Headed Nerd. Become a patron. Support this show. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in Caverns Deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 730 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I am your head number one. My name is Matt Baum. I should have said the now Netflix famous Omaha metro area, thanks to their real crime documentary that's out there, and it's like... Lover, stalker, killer, or whatever. <laughs> oh, uh, what crime? Well, it's a whole thing, Joe. We don't need to go into it now, but you oh, should okay. watch it sometime. Curious. Is it like a modern crime, or is it like the stark weather thing? I don't know. No, it took place in like a 2000. And they filmed a bunch oh, of it wow. at my Goodness buddy's me. restaurant. So. <laughs> Wowie zowie. I'll have to it's, not watch that, but I'll look it up. It's a sure. crazy story. I'll tell you that one. Um, yeah. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, your head number two. It's time for another exciting new comic show where we'll review 12 new comics from the last two new Comic Wednesdays. After that, we'll set you up with our must-read new comic picks for next week. And finally, you'll get a sampling of our Patreon Extra, where this time the Cosmic Shortbox has us catching up on the latest Blade series before Marvel's Blood Hut event. But now, Mardi Gras and Valentine's are behind us. So we can all go back to sobriety and hating each other. And let me tell you, you don't want to sober. For review time in the cigarette. As always, our reviews begin with six comics from last week. And then we roll into six from this week. Each one will be judged by our three-point rating scale of buy it, skim it, or leave it. And we gave up trying to improve said scale for Lent. So let's just get into it. This time, our carelessly curated comics pile features Guy Gardner's Pathetic Love Life, Ram V's One Hand, which has got to make his typing difficult, Ayo. The Return of Lion-O and the Thundercats, hoeing it up, Team Youngblood is back, baby, and so is Night Thrasher, and so much more. But it all starts with three damn jokers ugh, confusing each other and everyone else. New comics from Wednesday, February 7th. We begin with Batman 142 from DC. It's 40 pages. It is $4.99. It is written by Chip Zdarsky. What is Chip short for? Chippington? Chippendale? Chippendale Zdarsky. Chippard. Cover by Giuseppe Comincoli. Art by Comincoli and Andrea Sorrentino. With colors by Dave Stewart. And letters by not VCs Clayton Cowles, because he's working for DC here. That's Here's right. your solicit. The Joker Year One, revealed by Chip Zdarsky and Giuseppe Camincoli. And Andrea Sorrentino. The tragic death of the leader of the Red Hood gang in a vat of chemicals has become the subject of myth. Dot, dot, dot. But what is the heartbreaking and gruesome tale of a monster who walked away from that violent birth? And how does it affect Batman's distant future? The Joker Year One begins here. Legacy. Um, to be to be fair, Andrea Sorrentino isn't revealing the year one part. I, I guess, but is here. This is your legacy. 907 issue, Joe, the countdown to 1000 has begun. <laughs> oh my God. Only 903 issues to go. <laughs> Hold on tight. Uh, 103. Folks. Sorry, not 903. 903. It'll only, nope, like, nope, only feel like 900. That math checks out. You got it. <laughs> 
get ready for three head-scratching weeks of fun, question mark, as Chip and the crew try to explain Jeff John's three Jokers ideas that began back in his 2020 mini. This is part flashback to the Joker just after his accident when he fell into the chemical vat at Ace Chemicals. And then there's some Andrea Sorrentino stuff that shows you, thankfully, this illicit lets you know the far future, not three weeks from now. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. 15 minutes later. Right. It's all a little confusing as the Joker is met by two other Jokers when he literally crawls to shore after like falling into the vat at Ace Chemicals. And from there, we're off to the races, I guess. Yeah. So I read 143 because I, when you picked this, I forgot that it was weekly. It's weekly. Yeah. And so I read 143 and while I'm not going to say I understand it, I at least feel like some context is becoming clear about why there are three. I do think we'll have to do a TLDR on this one just to wrap our brains around it when it's done. You know, maybe <laughs> we might so, have to. This issue, I will admit to you, is completely obtuse. It yeah. makes no sense. Nothing is explained. It's a three week thrill ride. Is it crazy town in his head? And don't tell, don't give away anything if 143 is, is spelling that out. Or are there actually three Jokers running around? Is this playing directly on like, the stuff that happened in Jeff John's three jokers where there literally is three jokers. There are physically three different joker. There are three different men that crawl out of the sewage. Right. Or pardon me. That's not sewage. It's chemical spill. Yeah. 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 There are three different men that crawl out of the, the chemical spill outside of its chemicals, three different jokers. And we see that definitely, but there's other things. No, that's it's real. They are, they're there. They're present. Okay. There's other things happening that, that made me go, well, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe some of this is in his head. (laughs) Mm, I'm not sure. I think we're seeing, I think that in this issue, we are touching base with all three of them at different times, which is why. Yes. One of them is uh, clean shaven and one of them has has a a big bushy beard. So yeah, it is very, it's weird and time jumpy and not linear and context. It seems to be slowly coming, but there's none in this issue. No. And I, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything and don't spoil it. Yeah, no, no, I won't. Did you know who that character is on the last page? Yes. I don't. That's, I did not. That's it, a character from another Chip Zdarsky Batman story. Oh, okay. That's why. I mean, I guess that, I guess there's no real spoiling it because it narrows it way down. Uh, Chip Zdarsky did that Batman The Night. The Night. It was that character. Um, that that long, that eight issue or 10 issue miniseries from a year or two ago. Okay. All and right. he is a character from that. I'm going to have, they're really going to have to sell me on why he's doing that then. I don't really, no spoilers regardless. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Look, Kevin Coley is fantastic. I love that dude's hey, style. Hey. This book, the flashbacks look absolutely awesome. And then Sorrentino, does this nightmarish future thing where it shows like, I guess the culmination of the three jokers plan much down the line. It's not real clear what's going on there. And I think that is the overriding uh, message here. Nothing is very clear. Yeah. Uh, right. And there is like right now there doesn't appear to be any link between the Joker's origin no. and the, this like end times, not like really, final, not really at all. Right. You know, but I mean, we'll see again, it's a three issue story. 
a, a three issue weekly story. So expect developments to come fast. Yeah. And for a three week story, it seems like the creative team is going to have to cover a ton of ground fast. And the only thing that could burn me out on the Joker is having three of them. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping by the time this is done, there's only one, <laughs> but that's probably way too easy. I'm giving this a skim it and I'm starting to wonder if the entirety of Chip's Batman run is going to be a skimmit. Boy, uh, let's put a pin in that thought right. for another time. Um, but yeah, uh, so you mentioned Jeff Johns' Three Jokers earlier. I guess what sets this apart from that, well, no, because this story takes place in the past. Never no. mind, redacted. No. Yeah. Uh, because uh, in, in, th- in Three Jokers, Jason Todd just flat out executes one of them. Right. So one of them is dead. Uh, well, later. But that, yeah. I forgot that that was in the present day. So maybe there's just two now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but like it, this is set This is set in B- Batman year one or zero year or whatever the right. fuck we're calling it. And uh, yeah. Well, uh, this storyline is from, this story called, called Joker year Joker one. Joker year one. So yeah, there yeah. you go. Uh, it's, it's a skim in for me as well. It's a gorgeous looking book. It's confusing as all hell. And if you were to hand this to me and tell me that I had to wait a month, for more answers, I might push it back politely across the table and say, no, thanks. But because I only had to wait a week and I feel a little bit better after the second week, I'm like, eh, okay, we'll see. Fair enough. Uh, I'll give it some credit for being a three-week event as opposed to a three-month event. Sometimes you got to judge things by the whole, is, you know, yeah. and it's as a standalone issue, though. I, I do think we got a TLDR this one. Just for yeah, everybody's I'm, brain I'm and our own. I'm into it. <laughs> See, if DC had any guts at all, they would have just smashed all of the story into one 80-page one-shot like How to Lose a Guy Gardner in 10 Days because it's everything you need in one package. It's 10 bucks, $9.99 cover price. Uh, this is by Various. If, if truly a comic were by Various, this would be the one. Here's your solicit. Romance is rarely a simple affair. Love is almost always followed by some sort of conflict. Whether you're a plastic man twisting yourself into knots trying to please someone, or the Flash traveling back in time to make a catastrophic 51st date perfect. Or even a lonely robot who just can't seem to find love unless it's mail from a computer screen... Like Red Tornado, love actually is dot 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 a pain in the twenty-seven dresses. You see what they're doing here. Oh, so, in the grand tradition of these dating conundrums, a la rom-coms of the nineties and two thousands, we are proud to present eight new stories about love and trying to find it in this zany world. It's quite a interesting tactic to take with a solicit, considering I think the bulk of the people that will read this are millennials or younger. I guess. Like, are, do, do, well, do these no. People, do I these mean, kids still have an affinity for like kind of doubt it, Joe. I don't. I think you're wrong. I don't think the bulk of people that read this are millennials or younger. I think uh, it's I old think it's, dudes reaching for books with Guy Gardner in the title. Nah, I think it could go. I think it could go either way. So obviously, I couldn't pass this one up with a title like that. But I was pretty worried when I looked at the list of creators and only recognized a few of the many names involved. I did. I barely like, knew any of them. Yeah. No shade or anything, but anthologies are a mixed bag and a tough sell as it is, even with recognizable creators. Yeah. Am I, I wrong? I didn't. I mean, I barely knew any of these names. 
uh, to be perfectly honest. And that always worries me as well. But, you know. Again, yeah, no shame. how we feel it's about just, it. It's just how it is. Yeah, people got to start. You know, it's got to be somebody's first day somewhere. Right. Luckily, most of the stories are a ton of fun. Nothing too earth-shattering, though a couple are unexpectedly moving. And I was pleasantly surprised to find that they weren't all necessarily about romantic love. Okay, here's how dumb I am. I didn't realize this was a Valentine's Day special when we looked at it at the shipping list. And I was like, oh shit, next week is Valentine's Day. And it goes to show if you don't put Valentine's Day on, you know, special on the cover, some people are just going to go, well, I guess it's Guy Gardner book. I'll buy it. <laughs> like, hey, I mean, it's named after a very famous romantic teen comedy. I guess. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, standouts for me uh, in this one shot were obviously the Guy Gardner story where he tries to find love but ends up making a friend. The Flash, where Barry tries and fails to create the perfect date using super speed and time travel. Plastic Man, who plays the long game trying to woo a waitress he's loved since he was just Elo O'Brien. And Young Johnny Constantine, about the bond between friends that transcends life and death. That one, at the end, I was like, whoa, woof. Yeah, all of these were, it was kind of, I mean, like... There was nothing this cloying love story about it. Like they were all kind of sad and sweet and like, it's okay if it doesn't yeah, a work bit out. Of melancholy. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, it's, it doesn't always have to be everlasting love. Sometimes you can just be buddies, you know, <laughs> we learned mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Uh, the art ranges from pretty good to excellent, namely Baldemar Rivas on Plastic Man, Marguerite Sauvage on The Flash and Ivan Chavrin on Red Tornado. The rest of them were fine, but those three I thought stood out as being especially good. Yeah. I don't know what you think. No, definitely. I thought all the art was pretty damn good, which is hard to say for a lot of anthologies. Yeah. Nothing in how to lose a guy Gardner in 10 days is life changing, but all of the stories are cute and fun at worst and legitimately great at best. Plus it's all nebulously continuity adjacent. So it's all recognizable without needing the reader to be up to date with every character's status quo. This one was a pleasant surprise. It is $9.99, but I'm going to give this one a buy it because unlike most anthologies, I enjoyed all of the stories. Yeah. all. I mean, like, look, I threw a fit because Red Tornado is not in the JLA right now. And I was like, what is even going on? Well, they also on? don't have the JLA Watchtower on the moon <laughs> yeah, right now. No, no, whatever. I'm, I'm kidding. That didn't bother me. No, I, know, I agree. I Everything in here was really good. I mean, for the most part, some was better than others, but none of it was bad. I enjoyed the read. It is a buy it. It's a, it's a good anthology from DC, which we haven't had one of those in quite a while. I got to say, nice yeah, job. It's a, it's a, it's a great little Valentine's day one shot. It's a buy it. truly surpass is the sunrise over the gentle curves of Guy Gardner shapely. Gosh. Let's stick with our Valentine's day. Feel good comics and talk about the one hand. <laughs> number one from image 32 pages for three 99 written by Ram V Main cover art by Lawrence Campbell, colors by Lee Lawfridge, and letters by Aditya Bidyakar. Here is your solicit. Neo Novena detective Ari Nassar is about to retire with an enviable record until a brutal murder occurs, bearing all the hallmarks of the one-hand killer, which should be impossible since Ari already put him away, not once, but twice in the years before. What follows is a deadly cat and mouse game as Ari pursues his quarry down the rain-soaked streets of Neo Novena. Ari will stop at nothing to unravel the secrets and ciphers of this case, but each revelation only leads 
further into the dark heart of his future metropolis and Ari's own beleaguered soul. Woo! Grippingly written by award-winning writer Ram V, The Many Deaths of Layla Starr! And Swamp Thing, not in caps. With hauntingly atmospheric art. <laughs> it almost sounds like one was a little disappointing when they do that. When one's all in We've class. discussed this. We <laughs> I know get why it. they do it's it. It's because one is DC and one is Image, and they want to pimp their own stuff. I get it. Right. But yes. reading it, it's kind of funny. It, with, uh, yeah, right. With hauntingly atmospheric art and covers by Lawrence Campbell who worked on Old Haunts, BPRD, Hell on Earth, and Lee Lawfridge of Deadly Class. The One Hand is a miniseries that will keep you guessing until the very end. They miss an opportunity here to talk about my pick of the week for next week, I think. But we'll get there later. This is basically your old cop about to retire, pulled back in for the case that they never solved. Only they did solve this case. Two friggin' times. I mean, like Twice, the, yeah. the device still works here. It's not a new plot device, but Ram V is a crazy person. So he's putting his psychological, crazy thriller writing talents on display with the help of some really solid art here. New Novena is like this near future neon dystopia where it's always raining, of course, <laughs> right? And by the way, Novena means a nine-day period of Roman Catholic prayer. So, like, man, Ram V, laying it on thick, baby. <laughs> I mean, hey. I love it. The dialogue is heavy crime noir. There's this conversation that Ari is having with a sex bot that is just so, right out of Blade Runner. <laughs> I loved it. Ram is letting the art do the bulk of the storytelling here, though, and it just works. It just works. Yeah, and you know what? I'll say I really liked how until the scene with the sex bot, I didn't realize the book was set in the future because there's nothing about it ov- that is overtly futuristic until you see him walking around on the street. Uh, and so I like, I just thought, Oh, it's just a, a normal ass crime procedural. That's kind of fun. Yeah. And then and I didn't the, read the solicit ahead of time. So I didn't know that like the monorail. That's what gives it away. Basically. It was that weird space looking monorail. Well, the the, I mean the sex bot malfunctions and then you realize, Oh, he's uh <laughs> well, but I mean that happens later in the story. The first thing that gives uh, it away. I guess I didn't notice a futuristic yeah. monorail. Yeah. Maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention to the art, but yeah, I, like I, I, I was kind of uh, the future is future. It's futuristic, yes, but it's not so futuristic that there aren't still like normal stone and brick buildings right. that look like right. they're falling down. You know, like uh, shitholes. Like it's it's the future, yes, but also there's still the trappings of today. Yeah, Very, this might uh, be recognizable trapping. Yeah, the colors here are just excellent. There's glowing police lights in the rain. The scenes with. Dark shaded characters are so much black, so much black in this book. <laughs> and it makes the city just look dark and menacing. Like this is an awful place to live. It's just terrifying. But like in the future, maybe we just slipped into this kind of malaise here. There's a lot of like light effects that illuminate dark spaces with deep greens and blues. And I really like the codes, the ciphers that the killer leads. On yes, all the walls. It's very cool. It's like Battlestar Galactica writing almost, right? But yeah. they can't make heads or tails of it. And it, man, everything about this was just really well executed. It, this is the first part of a connected universe story. And that's what I was talking about in the solicit. Dan Waters 
is doing the six fingers, which comes out next week. And that looks like it's going to show the equal opposite of this story. Maybe. I don't totally know yet. Maybe from the killer's perspective, based on the kind of stuff they talk about in this. Well, I'll read the solicit later. And it's sort of, that's kind of what's going on, which is like, there's a, there's a clue about the most recent yes. painting of ciphers. And I was like, Oh, this guy's, Oh, they say it at the end. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But this is off to a very dark and creepy start. I feel like fans of Sin City or dark police procedurals like the movie Seven or Blade Runner or True Detective will absolutely love this. I'm giving a buy it. It's just solid feel bad comic booking. I dig it. This is a buy it for me. I I didn't know anything about it. I read I went in cold. Uh, We've said it before. We almost never read the solicits before we choose the comics. Yeah, we I don't like to. We- I don't like to because I want to, I would just want to see what it's like if you pick the comic up off the stands and just read it. Sometimes I'll read the solicit if it's so unclear what the comic is about. Then I'm like, okay, well, what is this? But, you know, this looked just kind of based on the names and the, and the preview art. I was like, oh, okay. Crime noir. Got it. And uh, so all of this stuff with the glyphs and the and the uh, serial killer and the future setting, like I didn't know any of that. The shared universe or the the kind of split narrative, um, it's all very like creatively exciting. I thought this was great. It's a buy it. I really liked it. While we're in the future, let's stop by and take a look at Gone Number 2. This is from Distillery. Now, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first Distillery book we've reviewed since the one-shot, the introductory one-shot? This is the only one we've reviewed since then, yeah. Okay. Gone is written and drawn by Jock, with colors by Lee Lawfridge and Jock. Letters here are by And World Design. Uh, Doesn't sound like no gang I want to be a part of. But whatever, they do good work. They might be cool. You don't know. I mean, look, VC, <laughs> like virtual calligraphy, VC. Yeah, that's the it, kind of, yeah. that sounds like a group that's got jean jackets <laughs> and world. What is it? Some sort of alien sex cult? I don't want to be part of that. Look, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, here's your solicit. The new hit series from Distillery by Jock continues. It's been 15 years since we last saw Abby, a frightened 13 year old stowaway on a spaceship bound for distant stars. Now nearly 30, Abby is not only still roaming in the galaxy, but is a self-assured and deeply scarred veteran of an intergalactic war. Beautifully written and drawn by Jock, Eisner Award-winning artist of Snow Angels and Batman One Dark Knight, Gone is an action-packed sci-fi adventure where a young heroine has grown into a war-weary spacefarer who still dreams of one elusive goal, getting home. For fans of Andor and The Hunger Games. Thanks, Distillery. <laughs> Thanks. That sentence doesn't feel like it belongs there, but okay. Yeah, I didn't get a Hunger Games out of this. I mean, like, I admit, uh, No, like, me neither, no. She's a girl. I'll I mean, I guess young adultish. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I didn't get any Hunger Games anything. Uh, we missed, oh, you know what? Hunger Games because of, like, the. it's a, a story about class, like the haves and the have-nots. That's the, what The Hunger Games okay. is Okay, well. well. I mean, it's the themes are there. We missed our chance to review Gone Number One, but here we are. I wasn't expecting the time jump or the possibility of getting back to Earth, which are interesting twists. I just thought it was going to be teenage Abby stuck on a ship that never goes home, like, or 
you know, it's like too far gone to ever get home. Like the Martian, it's like five years. I hope you enjoy your life. You know, it takes, it takes forever for any, to the ship to get there. I mean, five years, like, it's not that uh, but you know what I mean? That sort of, that sort <laughs> no, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. it, uh, this ship is going to a different galaxy or wherever the they hell it's le- going. They legitimately set that up in the first one. No question. Yeah. And I think that's no, going to yeah, be right. one of the things that I take issue with in this issue. Sorry to say issue twice. They set up the fact that it is a long, uh, it is a long voyage and it is for some people, which sure. is one of the things I thought was clever. Like the rich and famous get to spend the voyage in fancy suspended animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While the crew has to like stay out there and maintain the ship. And so they get to spend 25 years ferrying these rich shitheads around. Right. While for the rich, it's only a matter of weeks because of time dilation or right. whatever. There's a big but somewhat predictable twist that gives the story more personal stakes for Abby. While she works with the saboteurs, they call them sabs here, uh, that got her into this mess out of necessity, I like that she's not really on either side. Like, she just wants to go home. She does, but she was definitely like, those are my friends, the sabs are all I've got, so she's on their side. Well, the sabs are all she's got in the sense that they're not actively trying to root her out and like throw her out of an airlock. Like the crew. I guess. I don't know. Like they want to coexist with her. I do wish that the Sabs's motivations were more clearly defined beyond corporations are bad. Yeah. Uh, Plus there is the added element that they are a weird, uh, a weird cult. I almost said a weird sex cult. Uh, they're a weird cult that worships some kind of alien entity that turns people into hypnotized drones. Okay, I, I didn't, didn't expect aliens either. I thought I was thinking more like it was a drug that they or something. I don't know. Mm, like, it's both. They were uh, yeah. worshiping this entity that they, when it finally showed up, they were like, hey, "It's here! It's here! Oh no!" <laughs> and then it turned them into rage. Yeah, monsters. like almost like they didn't. I don't know. I there's. There's problems. It, it was clear that they were they were worshiping. Yeah, okay. It's they clear were, that they're worshiping yeah. it. It's not clear what the motivation of what they wanted to do with it was and why they didn't know it was gonna do what it did. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that if you're is your primary motivation to get into space so that you can rendezvous with your space god? Maybe. Or I don't, is it to destroy this corporation? I that's just it. I don't know. And I don't and it's, I think that's part of the problem, like it's kind of muddled. Jock know. is a very, very talented artist. No question there. I think there are some storytelling things where this book falls down a little bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Captain Dad is almost comically evil. Yeah. So now the story that was a young girl trying to make her way home is now a story about a young woman out for revenge against the man that ruined the lives of her family while trying to survive a cosmic class war and evade alien rage monsters. Yeah. It, it's There's almost, a lot going on. It's, it's like a they, lot. They, I think had this just picked a lane, I would feel better about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very thrilled to see the the this universe is the equivalent of the saucer separation. <laughs> Very, it like tickled something in the deep Star Trek nerd in me. I really like the ship too. The design of the ship is kick-ass. The ship is awesome. I love it. Yeah, and the, I love good art. ship design, man. <laughs> yes. Uh, the art is predictably excellent. Jock's at the top of his game. I also loved the design of the ship and the technology. It's very unique. It doesn't really, it doesn't really look like anything. You can't go, oh, no. it kind of looks like a Star Wars ship. Like, there's nothing like that. 
It's opulent and it's gorgeous on the surface, but it's grimy and it's dangerous underneath. The colors by Lawfridge are beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. These are two it's pros. It's a good looking book. These are two absolute pros. No question. Yeah. So far, Gone is a thrilling adventure story that has a lot more going on than I was expecting. Maybe a little too much. Uh, it's got gorgeous art by a strong creative team. And it's just three issues. So we'll see, we'll see if Jock can stick the landing. It does have some flaws, like we said, but I'm giving this a buy it because I still really enjoyed reading them. So I was talking about this on the Discord with Brian and a couple other people, and they were like, is anyone picking up Gone 2? And this was before you had picked it for us to read. And Brian's like, I don't even remember what happened in number one. And I was like, I remember it was very pretty. And I think it's because there's too many lanes. There's too much storytelling going on. They needed to just pare this down and pick which one of those stories they're going to tell and tell it. Because the setup is good. Ship is cool. The art is fantastic. Now just tell the story. I'm giving this a skim it because I think it's doing too much. Really? I, th I think it's doing too much. Maybe it lands well and by the end it's a buy it. But this issue got me into like, wait a minute. All of this is going on? Like, uh, hold on. You know? I mean, maybe it's because I read one and two back to back. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm so far, I got to see how they land it. But this issue is a skim it. It's just doing too much. That's fair. When it comes to doing too much, nobody does it like Jonathan Hickman and his ultimate universe is off to the races. With Ultimate Black Panther, number one, from Marvel. 40 pages for $5.99. It's written by Brian Hill, cover and art by Stefano Caselli, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Here is your solicit. The new Ultimate Black Panther in the wake of the Ultimate Invasion! Conchu and Raw. The force known together as Moon Knight, I was I wish to be like Conra, are seeking to expand their brutal control <laughs> of the continent of Africa. R Ronshu. Oh, Ronshu, that's better. In response, the lone bulwark against them, the isolated nation of Wakanda, will send forth its champion, its king, the Black Panther, from the creative minds of Brian Hill, who's working on Blade and worked on Killmonger, and Stefano Caselli, who worked on X-Men Red and Avengers, comes a bold new take on the world of the Black Panther and Wakanda. I would say a bold, newish take. Uh, Hill is setting up a fairly similar Black Panther origin, but focusing more on the ideas set up by Hickman in the Ultimate Invasion mini with different warring factions kind of running the world. Only here, it's not Namor constantly coming after Wakanda. It's Moon Knight. That's your ultimate twist, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, there are some different, there are, there more, are. like subtle differences, but yeah. I mean, I guess so. I, I think when we just think ultimate, like there's a major, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Up to the point where I we guess, learn. I guess my question to you is how different does it need to be? That's, you know I mean? that's where I'm going to go with this. Up to the point where we learn who the invading force that's coming for Wakanda is, this could have just been an updated origin for Black Panther. You know, the major differences here are with like Killmonger and his lady friend who, Readers will definitely recognize, even though we don't see her. Caselli is just showing off. This book looks like a blockbuster movie-level first issue. The design of Wakanda, again, not that different. The Black Panther armor looks great, but it's not a big departure. I guess we can see his mouth, <laughs> mm -hmm. which I kind of don't like, even. I'm not crazy about that, honestly. You know, I think that's kind of a nod to... Um 
the original Black Panther design by Jack Kirby uh, had the open mouth. Yeah. So that you could see he was a black man and then they changed it. I suppose that's So true. that it would be a mystery. Yeah. So I don't know if that's maybe kind of a nod to the, his origins, but. I guess. The, the Killmonger fight scene and the terrorist attack on Wakanda. Beautiful. Absolutely excellent action. They look great. There is nothing wrong with this issue other than it just doesn't feel like much of a departure from the regular Black Panther. I'm not saying like I needed him to be a were Panther or something ridiculous. No, but, thank God they did. But maybe taking a bigger chance, similar to what Hickman did in the first issue of Ultimate Spider-Man, would have left a bigger impression on me. I left my rating blank because I literally wanted to talk this out because I part of me just says this is just a skimmick because I'm already reading a great Black Panther monthly, and this just feels like. Another Black Panther, but it's a little different. Just a little bit. There you go. What do you think? <laughs> you know? Talk me out of it. Th- Otherwise, it's the skimmit. I I mean, I think a skimmit is fair. Like you said, it's not... I think a person's rating is going to f- depend on what they want this to be. Like, you're not reading it because it's different. So is how different it is from the regular Black Panther really that much of an issue? If the story's good, I mean, the story is okay. Is the story interesting enough to stand on its own, even if there isn't some hook? That's kind of where I'm at. the Peter Parker thing in Ultimate Spider-Man. And I don't know that it is. I think it's fine. I agree. And I think the art is gorgeous. Um, I'm, I don't really love the ultimate black Panther costume. Yeah. I think it's too busy. It's, it's, there's a it's lot got going too on. many. Why is it so armory? I don't it's, like, it's like, not really what I think of when I think of the black, it's Panther. like thorny and stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I, I love Stefano Caselli. Yeah. I, I like, I, I don't get me wrong. No question. I, and I think otherwise the book is gorgeous, but you know, there's there is the the twists are so subtle that it's almost like they were afraid of making it too unrecognizable. Yeah, I agree. It's like they were afraid of taking a, a bigger chance here, and I don't know why. Yeah, it's like okay, well, changing who T'Challa is married to is not really an exciting. No, like, not really. Uh, like okay, and like <laughs> Shuri is Shuri, dad is dad. You know, like it, yeah, all the beats yeah. are here. You know, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with you, and I'm gonna give it a skim it as well. Not because it's bad, but because I I just was kind of hoping for more. I was hoping for more, and I think that maybe I I think that we hit something uh, we hit on something here that they were just kind of like scared to take it too far, it and maybe like- they should have taking it farther. Well, I mean, and you say like, is the hook there? Like the hook to the ultimate universe is it's different. This didn't feel that different. You can debate what the draw of the ultimate universe is all day long, but the draw of this new version of the ultimate universe is that these characters are being created in a much different way than they were. Right. Because the maker did some shenanigans. Right. And well, you don't really get that here. Other than Kanju and Ra being around and yeah. being villains, there's not really anything that the maker, like what did the maker do to, <laughs> to ultimately change the Black Panther's origin? Right. It doesn't look like anything. Yeah. It doesn't look like he did anything. No. But, you know, whatever. Watch me backflip, then shoot ya. All right, let's stick with our cat theme and talk about some hoes. Yeah. <laughs> some Thundercats hoes. Oh! 
It's Thundercats number one from Dynamite. It's written by Declan Shalvey with art by Drew Moss, colors by uh, Chiara Di Francia and Martina Pignidoli. Sure. So sorry to both of you. Letters are by Jeff Eckleberry. Cover, the main cover is by David Nakayama. There's 14 more. <laughs> Don't yeah, worry. It's 32 pages for $4.99. Yeah, there's a J. Scott Campbell booby Chitara cover. Oh, yeah. You know it. Oh, yeah. Here's just a lizard. Fleeing through space to escape their dying homeworld, the Thundercats were attacked en route by their mortal enemies, the mutants of Plundar. After diverting their damaged flagship to a planet called Third Earth, the surviving Thundercats... Why are they spelling Thundercats with a cap as one word, but with a capital C? That's not how Thundercats is spelled. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The Thundercats now strive to rebuild their society in harmony with the New World's natives. But the mutants, determined to possess the Thundercats' mystical gem, the Eye of Thundera, have tracked them down. And they've also forged an alliance with Mumra, the devil priest of Third Earth. Now the Thundercats, led by an inexperienced Lion-O, must band together as never before to protect their legacy from this combined enemy. But will they be able to withstand the onslaught of Mumra the Ever-Living once he sets his eyes upon them? Joe Patrick, that is how Thundercats is spelled. It's one word with the capital C smashed into it. I have never once seen that spelled that way. I'm looking like, at I guess I've only like it's un the logo doesn't really look like it. The logo looks just like it. It's smashed together. Yeah. With a capital C? <laughs> yeah, dude. And like on Wikipedia, it's Thundercat. It's totally there. No question. I don't question. like it. I don't <laughs> like, like it. No question. All right. Remember when I said that I hoped Declan Shalvey would be bringing us a new take on the Thundercats? I see last week's well, episode. <laughs> I've got I've got, I've got bad news. <laughs> Shalvey gives us a more or less beat for beat retelling of the Thundercats origin. You may remember some of the specific details may differ, but it's basically the exact same story we've seen before. I totally agree. And, and it's not, again, this is not like I needed to see a whole cloth reinvention of the goddamn Thundercats, but we've got a GI Joe model of how to do it. We got a Transformers model of how to do it. Kevin Smith is doing a He-Man thing right now where it's like paying attention to where it came from, but adding something. This did not feel like it added anything. This even read like a cartoon script, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The dialogue is very soul painy, oh, which yeah. is perfectly in line with the show, but it seems really dated now. Yeah. It, yeah. It it's, feels like he's writing for the cartoon back when the cartoon was on air. You know, like the cartoon yeah, now, if you premiered not, it, it doesn't really make for a good con. No. And if Thundercats premiered today, the way it was written back in the day, even with better animation, people would be like, what is this garbage? <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> One thing that surprised me was that Lionel is basically a kid in an adult's body. Thanks to a malfunctioning stasis pod. I thought it was an interesting twist, but I looked it up. It's also part of the cartoons canon. That's and I canon. just completely forgot about yeah. it. I didn't, I didn't remember that at all. That is canon. No question. So uh, basically he's a child. He's a child yeah. who has muscles. Yeah. It's like a big or a Shazam situation, you know? Sure. Right. A Shazam. Yeah. Yeah. He's a Shazam. Drew Moss's art is okay, but it's underwhelming and it's got some occasionally dodgy anatomy, especially like his mouths get kind of weird. Yeah. And this is like I the think- kind of thing. I'm not saying that it's easy to do a license, you know, thing. I'm not saying that at all. It's a different type of art, but it seems like something he could have leaned into a little more even, and it would well, make up for some stuff. And But 
the some of the anatomy shit I don't get. It was. I mean, weird. Drew Moss is good. Drew Moss is really good. Having to draw things on model like as if you are drawing a a comic or a cartoon adaptation or something. I mean, I know that's what this is, but right, like. It, uh, to have to draw things on model, like you've taken over a comic strip, right? Sure, like you're doing uh, like Garfield, you're, you're, you know, <laughs> you're the new, right? Or you're the new, you're the new creator on uh, Nancy, right? And you've got to draw things Nancy and Sluggo, like Nancy and Sluggo have always been drawn. That's different than having the characters be recognizable. Yeah. You can have them be recognizable, but still drawn in the modern style. Like it's not like this needed to be drawn like a Saturday morning adventures. No, no. And I, I, I don't think that at all, but it seems almost like that's sort of what he was going for a little too much, Maybe. like not drawn backgrounds and shit, just like in the cartoon where they just recycled a bunch of animation. Cause they weren't making it on the cheap, you know, I, 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 I don't get I it. Do like, uh, I do like Tigra's new mustache though. I think that's, I do not. I do not okay. need my tigra with a weird pirate mustache. No. Uh, he's like, he looks like Sam Elliott. No. The backgrounds are boring if Moss even bothers to draw them at all. Why does the Thundercats ship look so dull? Yeah. So the dull. inside of that ship, like, does that ship transform into Cat's Lair or do they build Cat's Lair? It transforms into Cat's Lair. Well, that looks like the most boring place to hang out and live that I've ever seen. Yeah. It's all just stark metal with nothing. It looks like the toy once you got it out of the box. It it's got like. no personality <laughs> Like the at box all. will kick ass and you take the toy out and you go, oh. <laughs> yeah. The colors by DeFrancia and Pignadoli are very nice. Yeah. I, I thought the coloring was very good. Color's good. I was hoping for more than slavish devotion to the source material from Thundercats number one. Hopefully, Shalvi and crew will bring something new to the table once the origin story is fully retold. I'm giving this a skim it, and I will actually say that I just read a press release for Thundercats number two, and it has already kind of spoiled that Shalvi is introducing a brand new Thundercat. See, and that, like, barely makes sense. It, I mean... If you're doing it beat for beat like this. Like, and where was she the whole time? Right. You know, and you're like, doing it beat for, on the ship or not. Right. Like you did it so beat for beat for the cartoon and really didn't add. But, and now you're like, oh, but there's, oh, but Tigra has a mustache and there's a new Thundercat. Like. Chitara's wearing pants. I don't get it. I mean, like this, this is a skim it. It's only for hardcore, super hardcore Thundercat fans. And when they start introducing new shit, they might hate it. They might be like, No. Stick to this I mean, slavish adaptation. You know, I don't know. Skim it from me. Well, I mean, but I love the Thundercats, and I thought this comic was boring. It was boring as hell. New comics from Wednesday, February 14th. Leaping into this week, we begin with The Displaced, number one from Boom. It's 32 pages, it's $4.99. It's written by Ed Brisson. Cover and art by Luca Casalanguida. Colors by D. Cunifee and letters, or Kniff. <laughs> no. And letters I by Hassan. Just D. Kniff. Yeah, probably Kniff. Double F. Yeah. And letters by Hassan Atsmani Alao. Here is your solicit. The city of Oshawa, Ontario has vanished without a trace. Even worse, nobody remembers it. Or the 170,000 missing residents that disappeared along with it. As the survivors also fall into the forgotten, they must seek each other out if they hope to have any chance of surviving in a world where no one believes they exist. Highly acclaimed writer Ed Brisson, who worked on Batman the Brave and the Bold and Predator, 
rising star artist Luca Casalanguida, who worked on Regarding the Matter of Oswald's Body. I loved that book. That's a great title, too. It was great. And James Bond and Red Hot Colorist D. Caniff, who worked on Barnstormers and Crossover, posed the question, how can you feel connected to reality or each other if by all veritable means you don't exist? Brisson sets up some sort of unlikely, very believable main characters. There's no heroes here. There's just like citizens, right? People in a bar, uh, some brand new parents and really good dialogue. Like I believed everyone was just some schmuck in this small Canadian town. He does a really nice job, like building the tension. The story jumps here from a very mundane slice of life instantly into what the hell is happening. It's, I'm going to bring it up again later, but there's like a Spielbergian kind of uh, element here, like an ET or a close encounters where just everything's fine. And then this one thing happened and the whole world was different. Very suddenly not fine. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Gabby, who is the the mother, like one of the main characters, her story is very compelling. She's a new mom, lost her family in this giant sinkhole, basically. And her in-laws are accusing her of cheating on her husband because she wasn't home when the town fell into the hole, she was getting diapers at two in the morning. And it's like that little thing with, with her husband's parents calling her and basically making her feel like they're accusing her of something. That's a really nice touch by Brisson just to humanize this whole ridiculous thing that's happening. Like why was it him and not you? Right. You know, exactly. That sort of, I, I re- that uh, that felt very real to me. It's great I, writing. I thought that that was a really great piece of writing. It's great writing. And the other character, Emmett, the guy from the bar, who's like just some dude, his dad had just had a stroke, you know, and he was rushing mm-hmm. to the hospital when all this happened. And he is upset because he can't help but like feel relieved. Like this town where he felt trapped and his dad, who's like dying in an old folks home, had him just bought and now it's all gone. It's erased. And part of him feels good about it. Since they mention it in the solicit, I, I didn't want to mention it at first because I think the, the town getting sucked into the sinkhole is a compelling enough hook. Right. But what is eventually revealed uh, is m- so much more interesting. And I wish they, I kind of wish they didn't spoil it in the solicit. Yeah, that, w- that was a bit of a spoiler. It's not just that the town got sucked into a hole. The town was reclaimed by the earth and now the town essentially has never existed. Right. And the way, the way Brisson drops little hints that yeah. lead up to a character basically saying it out loud. Saying it out loud. really yeah. good. But yeah, I just, I, I thought that that was such a great, uh, like a, a much more interesting twist than the environmental thing. He's building something here. And yeah. I, I guess they, Luca's art, it like, it seems really minimal at first. But it's great. It's conveying a ton of emotion. All the characters look wholly separate, different characters. The, there's a panel where a school bus explodes, and the coloring is just amazing. I thought the lettering was great because it really plays on like some accentuations and how people talk. And there was one like panel where the, this girl was just freaking out, and she's saying, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And it's like busting out like the, the letterbox – you know, the, the word bottle has, oh God, in it, but oh God is like plastered into it and it's interrupted by the lines. Like she's saying like, it Yeah, so like fast. it's one, it's one kind of jagged word balloon. Right. And it's like, she's paid, they've pasted more text than will fit. Yeah. And it's great. And it's, it's cut under, it's cut off by the border. 
I, Hassan, I've I've seen Hassan do tricks like that. Like yes, he's, sli- slightly he's great at it. Kind of um, inventive tricks with lettering. Yeah. Not specifically this, but things that made me go, ooh, that's a really great. Yeah, it's, it's just a great way to that's like a great technique. show panic in that moment. And I thought it was a really good choice not to try and draw the city sinking or something because there's no way you're going to convey that. Instead, they did this big effect where it's just like the onomatopoeia and it's out of focus and it's so big that it takes up two pages and it's just like mm-hmm. rumble. <laughs> you don't see it. But you know exactly what's happening. Yeah, the display. Yeah, I thought the displaced number one does a lot in one issue. It hits all the beats of like this group of strangers plunged into a crazy mystery, and complete with like crazy old guy who thinks he knows what's going on. <laughs> and like I said, it's got a very Spielbergian pace to the setup. The art is fantastic. The dialogue has me invested in the mystery of what happened to these to the town and what's going to happen to these characters. I'm giving this a buy it. This is a really great start, and it's been a little bit since I've gotten excited about an Ed Brisson book, to be honest. So I'm happy to see him firing all cylinders here. This is great. Totally agree. I love this. It's a buy it from me as well. And I, the great mole man, welcome to my kingdom of subterranea. A trick that worked, I might add. Speaking of something else that keeps growing, threatening to swallow up everything we know of, it's the latest Flux House book. It's if you find this comma, I'm already dead. Number one from Dark Horse. It's going for like that really long like manga name. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) It's written by Matt Kent with art by Dan McDade, colors by Bill Crabtree, letters by Jim Campbell. It's 32 pages for $7.99. At first, that gave me pause. Then I remembered that it's a Flux House book, and it is on very large. It's very nice, big yeah. presentation. It's yeah. like a distillery book. They're big and beautiful. It's a magazine, more basically. Or less. It's big. Here's your solicit from the New York Times best-selling creator of Mind Management and co-writer of Berserker with Keanu Reeves comes a multi-dimensional cosmic odyssey presented in a pulp magazine-sized format. Robin is a big city reporter embedded with U.S. Marines heading to the hostile pocket universe called Terminus. Ten minutes in, the entire Marine squad is wiped out, and she has to survive and report on her own. Terminus is full of cosmic wonders and sci-fi gods that are in the middle of a political power struggle. The language is alien, and the politics are deadly. Can she survive long enough to figure out what's going on and get home to tell the story? Uh, does Matt Kent ever take a break? No. I, I, I don't know that he does. Uh, he's like a shark. House, if he stops swimming, he'll die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flux House continues its slow takeover of the comics industry with one of the longest comic titles I've ever read. I love it. The story is played completely straight at first. We see the Marines approach to Terminus first with Robin in tow. We get a little G.I. Joe style intro for each member of the squad. Like Scout. Language specialist. All muscle. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I love yeah. that kind of stuff. But then Kent yanks the rug out from under you without warning or explanation. The supposedly safe landing zone becomes a bloodbath. And there's freakish creatures slaughtering everything that moves. They yeah. are gross. <laughs> They're cool. I really like them. They, but I loved how weird they look. Yeah. The rest is a panicked run through this unknowable, unbelievably hostile world. And there's the only thing on 
her mind, on Robin's mind is survive. I've got to survive. Yeah, this gave me very black science vibes where it's like we jumped into this Ooh. thing like, oh my God, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's like, ah, just live, just try and live. You know? Right. <laughs> and by the end of this issue, all hope that Robin has is completely wiped out. And that's when the story starts, of course. Yeah. This is what, what happens when Matt Kent writes an action comic. Okay. Think about that. Yeah. Right. You know, cause he yes. was like, all right, I'm going full on sci-fi action. And it's like at the end of every issue, I guarantee they're fucked. They're fucked. And you're like, I guess I pick up the next issue and there's blood everywhere and the story's over. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. It's like predator. If when Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers and the crew showed up, they immediately get slaughtered. And then Anna is left to survive on her own. Kind of. Yeah. Absolutely stunning, gorgeous art from McDade and Crabtree. I thought this book was so beautiful. I think Dan McDade is quickly becoming like one of my favorite artists working right now. This it, is the year of McDade. It really like, is. Like that so Zod far, book like, that he's on is kicking yeah. ass. By the way, it's yeah. so good. Everything about the Terminus is truly alien. The landscape, the technology, the bizarre like things that are hunting Robin and the Marines. It's very common for science fiction artists. It's hard for them to kind of like let go of what they know. Right. When drawing, when designing an alien. Right. And not do like, oh, like, that's a lightsaber or that's an Ewok. Things are too or, human. Yeah. Right? Or you're right. The, like everything very conveniently works for humanoid bodies. Right. These aliens have like tuning fork faces. Like they don't have eyes or mouth. It's the... They're crazy. Yeah, it's it's Jack Kirby esque madness. It's really it is, it's cool. and it's like Kirby-esque. from the mind of Dan McDade. I'm sure, and I bet Kent went, "Give me something wild." And McDade went, "Yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> watch this." <laughs> uh, Bill Crabtree's colors have this kind of like texture to them that makes the art look like it was drawn on like toothy paper. Yeah, which I love. It's a great effect. Yeah, it's real pulpy. I dig it. Hmm. I-Y-F-T-I-A-D number one. Stop that. (laughs) Delivers a hard sci-fi premise that's somehow simultaneously very straightforward and also anything but. This is an incredible debut issue from Kent McDade and the rest of the creative team. This gets a huge buy it from me. I loved it. It's a buy it. Absolutely. It's just bonkers. This is what happens when Matt Kent tries to write sci-fi action. (laughs) Watch out. It's so good. Team Youngblood fans, rejoice! Long lost character Dutch is back in a new number one from Image Comics. It's 32 pages. It's $3.99. Written by Joe Casey. Cover and art by Simon Gain. Colors by Francesco Sagala. And letters by Russ Wooten. Here is your solicit. The legendary... Let's put that in quotes. The legendary 90s super soldier <laughs> returns for an all new adventure. An enemy from the past has forced Dutch back into the belly of the beast. But will his former teammates welcome him back? Or will a cybernetic kill team get to him first? It is balls to the wall action from the team of Casey and Gain. This reads exactly like what they say it is. This is a 90s yeah. action flick with all the stupidity of the 90s written cleverly by Joe Casey because he's a great friggin' writer, man. <laughs> the only thing I can take issue with is the word legendary. 
<laughs> you know, everything else is 100% accurate. But it, like, think about it in the sense of the way it would have been billed if it were a 90s blockbuster. You know, where it's sure, like the right, biggest, right. craziest, most legendary, the most explosive right. action they're, movie they're, of all time. They're playing right. on that extreme 90s thing. I mean, this is yeah, even, yeah. No, when for you, sure. oh, the opening page is a complete replica of the old 90s image comics, you know, with like the eye and like the really lame sci-fi, you know, credits and everything. This kind of reads like, what if Cable was as old as the X-Men keep saying he is? You know, like the X-Men are always like, oh, the old timer Cable, but he has no problems getting around or doing anything. They, they, <laughs> they, not only do they not depict Cable as being as old as he should be, right. they keep putting him through time jumps, which means he huh? should be decrepit. Totally. <laughs> and they're like, they just ignore it. But it's just, this is another old soldier with ghosts that haunt him story. Having to do it one more time, you know, like super tough guy stuff right out of any great 90s action film. And they don't make them like Dutch anymore, you know? <laughs> I can't stop thinking about Cable when I read this though, because of Joe Casey's Cable and how much I loved it. You can tell he's going to probably use some ideas, some stuff he just couldn't do with that character because it was so bogged down in continuity. Here, he can do whatever the hell he wants. And he's playing on some tropes, but it totally works because he's done his homework. This is a Liam Neeson and Taken story. Old guy that everybody like didn't give him any credit because he's old and whatever, but he's going to mow through everyone to get yeah, done if, what he needs if, done. <laughs> you know? If Liam Neeson had a robot arm. Basically, yeah. Gain is the exact opposite of the Leafield knockoff art that this character came from, but it kind of makes this story even more perfect. He's all herky and jerky now. He's not like this overblown, multi-pouched, ridiculous yeah, armor, yeah. double headset, stupid gun. He's an old guy with a robot arm now. He took off all the bullshit basically, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I really loved the art. I, I love this take. It, and that's something that I appreciated about all of those extreme universe revivals from the last like 10 years or so, like Profit and Glory and, and um, Bloodstrike by Michelle Fifa. Yeah. Where it was like they took the concepts and then they weren't afraid of just going completely nuts with them and yeah. making them completely artistically different. Then that's all this is. It, it's, it's just hard edged. It's not pretty. It's just all action and no flash, which is the complete opposite of the 90s shit that this stuff came from. It was all flash. Kinda, yeah. And the action was completely stiff. There was nothing to it. It was just pictures of people frozen shooting guns or punching something, you know. Dutch is Casey and Gain having fun with an aging character that everybody forgot about or never even cared about in the first place. So they can just have a good time. It's a perfect cybernetic super badass old man story where there are no rules and maybe it's the kind of cable story i wish we could read free of all the continuity that weighs a character down these days i don't know but i had a lot of fun with this i'm giving it a buy it i can guarantee no one cares about this character because when i looked up who the female character was i couldn't figure it out because on her <laughs> marvel fandom page her real name was unknown I added her real name to the fandom page last night, okay? <laughs> oh, uh, the image fandom? Yeah, this is a buy yeah. it. This is a huge buy it. I agree. I mean, look, I, I would argue that 
the continuity of Cable and his identity and parentage is what makes people like him. Maybe it used to. <laughs> no, I think outside of the 90s, it's what keeps people coming back. Fair enough. I think Fair that enough. in the 90s, they were like big guns and muscles. Yeah. Sure, sure. But uh, this was a joy. It was, it was just like joyfully produced. I read it with a smile on my face the entire time. This is a buy it. I, like I've never read Dutch. I've never read our team young. I never read team. I Youngblood. only know Dutch from like pictures in wizard magazine or whatever the hell. No. And yeah, this was outstanding. Outstanding. It's a buy it. I don't have money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Matt, I've had enough of old men and their problems. I want to recapture some of that youthful energy that's been missing from this episode. Yeah. Youthful supervillain energy. Yeah. Youthful supervillain energy. (laughs) It's time to discuss Sinister Sons, number one from DC. It's written by Pete Tomasi with art by David LaFuente. Colors are by Tamara Bonvillain. Letters are by Rob Lee. Covers by Brad Walker and Andrew Hennessy. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here's your solicit. Meet DC's devious new duo. They're bad to the bone, ready to brawl, and the sons of two of the deadliest villains in the galaxy. They're the sinister sons, and the DC universe will never be the same. When the son of General Zod was cast off his adopted homeworld of New Candor, Lord Zod runs afoul of a kid on a mission. Sin Son is out to prove he's got what it takes to live up to the family name of Sinestro. But all is not as it seems, and the Sun's journeys will take them into the heart of darkness in this sensational first issue. Superstar, Super Sun's scribe, Peter J. Tomasi, his friends call him Pete, returns to the world of DC Youth once again, joined by fan-favorite artist David LaFuente to craft one of the most dynamic debuts of a duo, in DCU history. Woof. Now that is a claim. Yeah. So after months of backup stories in Green Lantern and one issue of Neil Before Zod, I guess there's been two by the time this comes out. This came there's out. There's been two. The, the stage is finally set for Sin Sun and Lor Zod's inevitable meeting. Pete Tomasi had a celebrated run telling the adventures of Damian Wayne and John Kent in Super Sons. And he's bringing that exact same sense of fun and adventure here. It was good to see him back at DC. I know that he's all about that ghost machine now. Lorzod is out to make a name for himself after being cast away by his family. Sin Sun's desperate to prove that Thal Sinestro is his biological father. Taking over a network of kid thieves to help him achieve his goals. He's built a like a little nerf dart gun to help him extract Sinestro's blood. <laughs> All of their grand plans boiled down to a desire to earn the approval of their daddies. It's this comic book is nothing but daddy issues. Well, sure. I mean, how do you not have daddy issues when these are your dads? Sinestro same, yeah. and Zod. Same with Super Sons, I'm sure. That book, I, that book was all like you have living different, in the shadow of you your have dad. Different daddy issues, though. You know, like it's, think, yes, of course. Tomasi's script is full of youthful energy, and he does a great job. Introducing characters to readers that may not have read the setup stuff without a ton of boring exposition. Like if you haven't read Neil Before Zod or if you haven't read the backups in Green Lantern, you're going to be fine. Okay, you might be better off if you haven't read Neil Before Zod because the characters definitely 
different here. (laughs) Definitely different. And I think that's, that's kind of one of the things that threw me a little bit. I keep going. We'll we'll, we'll get to it. Keep going. Uh, I'm not mad I mean, I at it. I don't know how different it is. I'm not mad at it, but there's definitely an adorable difference here. You know. Well, the tone an of this book overwhelmingly is overwhelmingly adorable. Difference. The tone of this book is different than Neil Before's Which, I will I, give you that. And I guess I knew it would be, but I would also argue the tone of the Super Sons book not that different than the books their dads were in. Just no, the tone of the Super Sons book was adorable as well. No, I mean, it was, but it was done in a way where it's, it's still felt very much like these are the same characters from those other books, you know, no question. I mean, well, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm saying they have altered some stuff here to make it very kitty and kind of a cute and kid friendly. And that's fine. They did a good job of it. I just don't know how much of it's for me, you know? I, 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 it's fine. I thought this I get it. Good. You're a monster. I get it. No, that's I, all you had to say. You had to say you're a monster. I get it. I think there's more interesting stuff going on with Laura Zod in the Neil before Zod book. I'll say that. Is he still in it or was he just in issue He's one? Still a part of it. Yeah. The art is straight up adorable. La Fuente has always been great, but he's somehow gotten so much better since his days drawing, uh, ultimate Spider-Man back at Marvel. So yeah, without a doubt, the art is fantastic. It is very cartoony. It's just extremely well, cartoony. Yes, but this is a book about children. I I'm, don't I disagree, mean, but I also don't think, and I, I know I keep bringing up the Super Sons book, but the Super Sons book was not this cartoonish, you have to admit. Yeah, Matt, it was. Not this much. It was very cartoonish. Not this much. There's straight okay. up like manga stuff going on in this book with like faces and veins and like, you know. Okay, I, but David LaFuente could be drawing a regular issue of Green Lantern and it would have the same There's even sort of a bubble coming out of Lorzod's nose while he's sleeping. I understand. <laughs> so. Sinsun and Lorzod both have very unfortunate haircuts, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> I loved the presentation of the recap page as Sinsun's childish drawings. That was a fun touch. Tamara Bond villain's colors are vibrant and beautiful. Like, she is so good. Sinister Sons number one recaptures the spirit of the dearly departed Super Sons title with a wicked twist. I'll grant you they are evil, or at least they want to be evil, or they think they do. Bad in a cute way. They're naughty. They're naughty, I guess is what you say when there's kids. Tomasi and La Fuente are perfect for this kind of story. They absolutely crush it. I'm giving this a buy it. I really liked it. It's very cute. It's very, it's beautiful. It's perfectly well illustrated. Like I'm not taking anything away from anyone. I just think they went a little too far in the cute factor for me, where by the end I was like, okay, I've had enough of this super sugary treat. You know, like, thank you so much. I I don't know if I need to come back. You know, like I'm going to give it a strong skim it. It, It's just, it, it wasn't for me. It was too adorable. And I almost think when you've got two bad guys, you got to do something a little menacing with them to remind us these are bad guys. They're bad. You know, <laughs> I mean, Matt, they conquered a planet. I'm not sure what more you want in the cutest way. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, they conquered a planet. I'm not sure what more you want. It was so adorable the way they did okay. it too. It was just too cute for me. That's a little too cute. Oh, Let's jump from daddy issues to sibling issues with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Number one. I mean, there's plenty of daddy issues. <laughs> well, yeah. 
they got their share of daddy issues too. Don't get me wrong. It's from Marvel. It's 40 pages. It's $3.99. It's written by Steve Orlando. Cover by Russell Dodderman. Colors by Fran William. And letters by VCs Ariana Maher. Is she a new member of the gang? I don't recognize this name. Uh, she's not one that we see often. If we've seen I her before, guess. she's definitely not uh, one we've seen well, a lot. She's jumped in. She's got a vest. She's got the VC in front of her name. So there you go. Yeah. Here's your solicit. Old rivalries and new mysteries. The Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver have been heroes, friends, family heads, and occasionally villains. But above all, they are twins who look out for each other. So when Wanda receives a letter from the recently deceased Magneto that would upset Pietro, she burns the letter before her brother can read it. But her choice drives them apart at the worst possible time. A new threat heralded by the wizard with a horrifying eldritch upgrade. That is the wizard, not just like, you know, the guy with the purple helmet. <laughs> so, yeah, the wizard. Yeah. Right. Is coming for their heads. And if they can't find a way to repair their damaged bond, it will cost them their lives. Join the fan favorite Scarlet Witch creative team as they celebrate 60 years of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver with this new chapter in the twins' storied legacy. So there it is. More from the creative team that's been killing it on the recent Scarlet Witch Monthly. We both really liked it. And unfortunately, it's another great title that could not sustain sales. So, new number one here. Orlando writes a great Quicksilver, and his brother-sister banter is equally great. And you still got Darcy here to keep things light, because I'll tell you what, if it was just the soap opera of the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver going back and forth, that could get old real fast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, every story has, needs a good, like, comic relief. Sure. Question. I, and I like Darcy. I think Darcy's great. When did Magneto kill Quicksilver? I don't know. I don't I, either. I was wondering that myself. I, I don't remember that. Somebody's got to lay this on us. I have no idea. And they bring it up big time here. And I went, <laughs> huh? And I figured, I thought you'd know for sure. So somebody lay it on us. We've got a channel for that in our Discord. Now, I think this is going to be tough if you're a new reader that wants to check in with the Scarlet Witch and see what's going on. Because there is a lot that has happened to get them to this point. And this is literally... Just the next issue of the Scarlet Witch series. No question. It picks up with something that was happening in the previous issue of the Scarlet Witch, basically. Oh, does it? Yeah. And, and it just... I just thought that that was like a little throwaway, like a cold open sort of thing. No. No, I mean, they're, they're talking... Okay, so the cold open, yes, but they're talking about some things that was happening in the previous issue, even, mm. with some other stuff. And it's just... That's not a great way... To set off another number yeah. one. And I know it's not Orlando's no, choice. I guarantee well, that Steve Orlando thought, well, this will just be the next issue of my Scarlet Witch story or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, here, here's my counterpoint. or uh, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, but my counterpoint is from somebody that didn't read Scarlet Witch past issue like two. I just couldn't keep up with it. I did really love it when we read it for the show. I was caught I up. Just, I really liked it. And that I, says I lost track of it. I don't like um, this character. <laughs> so, I know. Okay. Uh, I had lost track of the series and I picked this up because you were reviewing it and I wasn't really lost. Uh, like other than like, she's got the shop. Darcy's there. Stuff happened with Magneto. I was like, and these are all things that I got from the first issue of Scarlet Witch and what I know already about the X-Men and Magneto being killed. Sure, sure, sure. Like that. Anything else that was relevant, uh, that was a relevant plot point from previous issues of this series, 
I didn't realize I was missing anything. Okay. Well, that's so, good to I know. Mean, so that's a that's my perspective as somebody that wasn't caught up. Okay, that's good to know because I was looking at it as I wonder if this is going to bother people that don't that haven't been on this whole journey. So I mean, but that said, I did know about the shop and I did know about Darcy okay. and I did know about Magneto. So you do. So I did come with some pre knowledge. Yeah, you knew some stuff. I, I will say, yeah. Tometa still outstanding. The detail, the action, the art—it's gorgeous. And I think Tometa is getting better literally with every issue that they're drawing. This book looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, you know, when they announced the Scarlet Witch book and they were like, Sarah Pacelli is going to be the artist. And I was like, that's going to be a really great, like three issues. Yeah. And then Sarah Pacelli will bail. Yeah. Tometa is great. Yes. Like really, really fantastic. As a replacement as coming into, yeah. Fantastic. There's a little nod to Mobius stuff with the clerics in here too that I really like the way they dress. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you've been having a good time with the Scarlet Witch, you're going to love this. You're going to feel right at home. But I, like I said, I don't know if it's new reader friendly. The Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver is a fun read. It might interest old fans of the characters to go back and maybe read what was happening in the prior series. But there was a good amount of story that got these characters here. And Marvel probably should have just trusted the series. If they believed in it and they want to keep it around, so they think it's good, just trust the series and let it go. I don't know that making this a new number one is going to be real good for this. And it's a three-issue mini. That's the other thing, too. That's the catch, I think. I guess. They did trust enough to give... Orlando an extra three issues to kind of wrap things up. I suppose. Yeah. But the only way they could justify another three issues is by giving it a number one sales. I guess I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm saying this is a buy it, but it's probably just a buy it for fans of this previous really strong Scarlet Witch series. Otherwise I think it's a skim it. If you haven't been reading and you don't have baggage for these characters, it's, Probably a skim it. I mean, I'm going to give it a buy it. Like I said, I have a different perspective as somebody that wasn't current on the series. Yes, I knew some things. But these are things that you can easily find with a Google search. The idea sure. that the premise of the new Scarlet Witch book is that she runs a shop and sure. she helps lost souls, sure. whatever. Oh, they introduced Darcy from the movies into continuity. Like, that stuff's not a deal breaker. The fact about Magneto being dead. Well, okay. I'll, I'll grant you that's something that if you're not up to date on the X-Men, maybe you'd be a little lost. But, that could I happen mean, in any Marvel comic. Whatever. Know? That could be any. Yeah. That could be true about anything that happens in any comic. Of course. So as somebody that came into it from uh, basically cold, more or less, um, I had no problems following it. I thought it was good. The art is fantastic. I'm going to give it a buy it. And then I'll say, I think that if the three issues are spent primarily wrapping up subplots from the ongoing that I don't know about. That's not going to be as satisfying and that might yeah. ultimately make it a skim it. But as a first issue, I was like, yeah, this is great. Fair. Don't call it a comeback. He's been here for years. He putting, has been putting here for years. suckers in fear. <laughs> It's Night Thrasher number one. It's from Marvel Comics. And look, we all knew I was going to review it. Let's not act surprised. It's written by Jay Holtham, with art by Nelson Daniel. Colors are by Matt Mila. Letters are by VCs Travis Lanham. Lanham's my boy. I love that guy. They, I don't really understand. 
understand how different the one VC book is from the other, but yeah. they're all very good. They do it the VC way. The cover is by Alan Qua, Q-U-A-H. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. Here's your very unfortunate solicit. It's time to thrash the night. Barf. <laughs> the death of a loved one draws Dwayne Taylor back to New York City, though his days as night thrasher are long over. But Dwayne finds the past difficult to outrun when Silhouette, his ex-teammate from the New Warriors, seeks his help against a new criminal called the OG. <laughs> and the mystery of the OG's true identity and what's to come will change Night Thrasher's legacy forever. Don't miss this bold new direction for a cult classic character who's leaving the 90s behind him. Oh, Whoa! That was more of an 80s thing. That was like what Captain N said when he got sucked into the game yeah. world. Yeah, definitely. Let's get this out of the way right now. That solicit is terrible. It's time to thrash the night. Like somebody got paid for that shit. Also, leaving the 90s behind, it makes no sense. Everything fans love about the character came out of the 90s. Yeah, so th There's literally nothing about this character after the 90s that anyone gives a shit about. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. throw that solicit out the window. Don't even worry about it. That said, Holtum's script isn't as cheesy as the solicit might lead you to believe. In fact, I don't know if he even was the one that wrote it. Some intern may have written it. And some of the cringy stuff like the OG is bad on purpose. Like re they reference it in the script. Like the OG is a terrible name. Okay. I, okay. I'll give you that. All right. Yeah. I mean, he does. Yeah. I did laugh out loud when we were reading it. <laughs> yeah. Jay Holtham is a playwright and television writer and producer who worked on shows like Jessica Jones, Supergirl, and The Handmaid's Tale, where he was an executive producer. Holtham clearly has an affinity for the character and the lore, it fills the story with references to moments from Night Thrasher's past and the New Warriors. And Night Thrasher has had a couple of solo series, so that stuff's peppered in there too. There's also a very strange disconnect between the story and the art, where Nelson Daniel draws a team of New Warriors that never existed. Okay. And it's on, and in this shown during a moment of introspection. Yeah, I was like... Oh, I mean, like, I know I don't know shit about the new warriors, but I was like, I guess I know yeah. even less shit than I thought. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, is it something that a casual reader will notice? Maybe not. But how many people are reading the book that aren't already fans of the character or the new warriors? Yeah. I just marked I mean, it up to, I guess I don't know that part of the new Warriors. Yeah, no, no. They're, they're like the team it, in that, in that picture that Night Thrasher looks at like that collection of characters never existed as the new warriors. It, I don't know what they were doing. I'm also not sure I completely understand Dwayne's motivations for shutting down the Taylor Foundation. Well, he sure like, is pissed he about just, it, though. <laughs> he is pissed. Why, why couldn't he just keep it going? Like, it's already being run by other people. No, it's not like Joe. It's, to do anything. it's never been what it was supposed to be. It's it's wrong. And the only way to kill it is to get rid of it is to kill it. I was like, why are we so mad? They never laid out what was just so bad. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, it, yeah. There's a plot twist about the OG's true identity, and I'm not happy about it. It didn't bother me. Uh, I don't care. It, you know? <laughs> I'm not happy about it. I might be the only person on the planet that's not happy about it, but we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I don't care about that character. So, And I don't know enough I, about that character. I know character. you don't, and I knew that you wouldn't. I don't know enough about the character to be like, he'd never do that. <laughs> no, I understand. <laughs> the second that the OG shows up, 
and Night Thrasher confronts him, I was like, oh no, it's I knew exactly who it's it blank. Was. It's yeah. it's redacted. I like I knew it immediately. I was like, oh no, not don't do knowing this, shit about that character, I knew it. who it was. <laughs> yeah, yep. And then they did it. They went in and did it. Nelson Nelson Daniels art, pretty strong for the most part. I love the zip-a-tone effect that he adds to his background shading. It, Nelson Daniels been a colorist for a long time. And I remember him when we were first getting our start and he was doing uh, like inking and coloring on books like the Cape uh, and wild blue yonder, those oh. Jason Howard books. Okay. Yeah. And like, I, I, I really love that, that style. Uh, the action scenes are dynamic. They're brutal. Yeah. But almost every time he draws silhouette, he gives her gigantic, crossed eyes. I did. I was looking at that. as like, does she have a good? And I honestly thought maybe this character has a glass eye or something. No. And I don't know about it. No. Why? Why would you? I don't know. Nobody saw this. Nobody, no editor went, hold on, bud. Why is she the only person with crossed eyes in this comic? No. And I legit thought there was a choice being made. Maybe. No. Because it's just her. It's so weird. It's bizarre. And I don't get it. Uh, his faces are also a bit inexpressive. They're just kind of varying degrees of yeah. open mouth glares. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, not everybody is a Kevin Maguire, you know, when it comes to facial expressions. I was sort of dreading Night Thrash number one. I've been burned by New Warriors revivals so many times, you guys. So many times. But Holtham and Daniel have crafted a story that I think is worth checking out despite its flaws. I'm giving it a strong skim it. Yeah, there's nothing it's r- certain there's nothing wrong with it. It's certainly this. not perfect. No. There but there's nothing wrong with this. And maybe they're going to spell out why this character is so mad at his foundation and, and why he came home and stuff. I'm sure that is there going there's to happen. a whole lot of backstory with Silhouette's dad and the death of his parents and and things like that. That I think I can tell from reading it that Holtham knows, but they right. don't really go into it because it's a lot. And I have a feeling they're going to play into some continuity that you might not like there as well, where they switch some story stuff. Maybe what? we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Uh, but it's a yeah, skimmit for me. It's a, it's a skimmit. I don't know enough about these characters to be upset about anything, but it kept me reading. I'll say that. I, I think Night Thrasher is dumb. I'm glad he's not on the skateboard. <laughs> so that's Night, good. Night Thrasher, Night Thrasher used the skateboard like I can on I can count on less than five fingers the number of times. Okay, I saw him that's use the, the only way that I saw him marketed back in the day, and I never read it. So. I get it, but that's it's a it's a it's his action figure definitely. Came it's a with gross a exaggeration. <laughs> so. I, for a first time, like for for somebody that's not primarily known for writing comics, but who is clearly a fan of the New Warriors and Night Thrasher, I think Holden did a pretty good job. Fair enough. You can find links in our show notes for more details on these comics, but now it's time to pick the best comic we read from this pile to add to the THN Permanent Collection. Matt which comic thrashed the night the hardest? You know, I was tempted to go with the comic that I thought left the 90s the furthest behind, which would have been Dutch, but I cannot resist this. If you find this, I'm already dead, number one. Yeah, dude. It, that yeah, that's fucking well. book was awesome. It was so damn good. I, I, I was so impressed. I was so impressed. Yeah. It's easily the best thing I read all week. It's just excellent. Matt Kent. I'm not sure that that dude has ever missed. 
I don't think I've ever read anything by Matt Kent that I can say I don't care for this. I, I, there's stuff that I've cared for more than his other stuff, but I've never read anything where I went, putting that down, don't need it, you know? Yeah, right. Like some things I find more interesting than others, but every book is a banger. Time to head up to THN Sanctum Sanctorum to make our must-read picks for next new comic day, February 21st. We have got quite a haul hitting the shelves, Joey. Archie is back in the superhero game with Jaguar, number one. The, yes. The DC sweater weather variants start shipping, featuring your favorite heroes in their underwear in the snow. <laughs> I, I don't They're know. sweater weather variants? <laughs> They're called sweater weather variants. Merca okay. and Dolfo gets a distillery title with Blast Famous. Number one. Get it? It's like oh, Blasphemous, but Blast Famous. What animal gets naked in this one? I think it's just a big girl in this one. Elvira okay. meets H.P. Lovecraft over a dynamite, and he should like her because she's white. Alien gets the black, white, and blood treatment at Marvel, and no new comic day would be complete without the 10th volume in the I was reincarnated as a seventh prince so I can take my time perfecting my magical ability series. <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad this is coming out because I think volume nine left a lot of... It really did. I need to know what's going on here. So, Joe, if these exciting comics didn't make your must-read pick for next week, you must be insane, sir. Well, you can go ahead and commit me right now, Matt, because my my pick for next week, and you know what? And you probably should. Yeah, I'm gonna because say, my pick for next week is Spawn this, 350. This is not reinforcing <laughs> your argument. <laughs> I'm not doing anything to dissuade uh, to dissuade you. Uh, this is from Image Comics. It's written by Todd McFarlane and Rory McConville, with art by Carlo Barberi and Brett Booth. Cover by Puppeteer Lee. That is an interesting. Don't monitor. do it. Don't do it. I think that's the um, real name. It might. Oh, I'm sure, but yeah, I think puppeteer is a weird name. Like, I think that's fair. It's fair to say that. In his picture, he's also Asian, so I don't know. Matt puppeteer is not a cultural name. I'm Come not on. saying it's a cultural name. I'm saying maybe they tried to pick something that sounds American or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying, let's not make fun of anybody's name. Okay. Unless right. their name is like Fart Whistle or something, you know. <laughs> well, covered by Fart Whistle Lee. It's 48 <laughs> pages for 4.99. Here's just a list. Spawn 350, a story 32 years in the making, is being offered for sale. Oh, uh, oh thank you. <laughs> all right. Uh, 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 time out. They, time it, out. They're not it, giving it to us? <laughs> it can, it conti- the, the solicit continues. <laughs> this industry mainstay title that has constantly outsold some oh, of the biggest names Jesus in the comic book industry. Christ. They used industry twice in that sentence. Will reveal to readers who will finally sit on the vacant throne of hell. Throne of hell is in quotes. Will it be Spawn, an enemy, or someone else hiding in the shadows? And more importantly, dot, 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 are any of them worthy enough to claim the power of the throne? This anniversary issue will give answers to all those long gestating questions and the aftermath of which will continue into the four current titles. Spawn, Gunslinger Spawn, Scorched, and King Spawn. That's me banging my head against the microphone, by the way, every time you said one of those title names. <laughs> and then it says, period, 349. That's a typo. Uh, it's You know what? It is weird. I think this might be the first solicit I've ever read that's actually written to the retailer and not the reader. I Well, okay. Here's the thing. I don't know that it is. I think this is Todd 
can't help himself. Gotta brag, McFarland. How great Spawn is. You know, yeah. like that's just how he do, right? And look. Sure, maybe. It's 350 issues. I'm not taking it away from the guy. That is a goddamn milestone. It's, in, it's a true milestone. In this yeah. modern market, 350 issues, truly impressive. I mean, we're at well over 700 episodes, but whatever. I mean, I get it. No, yeah, no, it's no. a milestone. Yeah, we're not selling this shit. We're giving it away like idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I feel like I should say this every time I make a puzzling choice for my pick of the week. The pick of the week does not necessarily mean the comic I'm most excited to read. Sometimes it's the comic I'm most curious to read. And this is a big deal. Like, I feel like we, would, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't cover it on the show. Well, so, well you know what? It sounds exhausting, but we're going to do it. <laughs> I mean, Matt, it's going, to, it's going to continue in the four current titles, Spawn, Jesus Gunslinger, Christ. Spawn, Scorched, and King Spawn. Well, let me tell you, Joe, the comic I am most excited to read next week is The Six Fingers, number one, from Image Comics. It's written by Dan Waters with art by Sumit Kumar and Lee Lawfridge, covered by Tom Muller and Lawfridge, 40 pages, $3.99. Here's your solicit. Miniseries premiere! Thanks, Thanks Image. Neo Novena archaeology student Johannes Vale has always been so very in control of his life. But when he commits a brutal murder using the MO of a historic and notorious serial killer, everything Ooh. begins to spiral out of control. Primarily as Johannes doesn't remember doing it. What, what follows is a deadly cat and mouse game as Johannes seeks refuge in the rain-soaked streets of Neo Novena we were just talking about. He will stop at nothing to unravel the secrets and ciphers of what he did and why he did it. But each revelation only leads further into the dark heart of his future metropolis that we were just talking about and Johannes's own heartbroken soul. Grippingly written by writer Dan Waters with hauntingly atmospheric art and covers by Sumit Kumar and Lee Lawfridge, Six Fingers is a miniseries that will keep you on the edge until the very end. This is Ram V and Dan Waters teaming up to tell a two-part story that started in the one hand this week. The Six Fingers is going to be the other side of it. And each one contains clues and Easter eggs for what's going on in the other series. Super <laughs> friggin' clever. It's almost like that Ascender-Descender story, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. There's also well, one... I uh, mean, except that Ascender came out after Descender was over, but yeah. Well, sure, 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 yeah. There's also, it, I think it's really cool. They're doing an unannounced overship variant, where if you ordered X, you're just gonna get some variants. It wasn't like... They build it that way, trying to pump up mm -hmm. sales or anything. This is just image being cool. I love this. Uh, you know, this I've I've seen companies do that before when they were like very hyped about a release and they weren't sure if people were going to buy it. They would be like, "Okay, we're going to send you like yeah, double what you ordered for free." It's cool. Whatever. That's image saying we believe in this. Yeah. We know it's good. Get it into people's hands. They will read it. We just gushed all over the first issue. Of the one hand, I think this is going to be great. Yeah, exciting. I didn't know about any of this when I read The One Hand. So, like... Well, you wouldn't have, because I feel like they did a really shitty job promoting it. <laughs> Honestly. Well, no, because if I had read the solicit of The One Hand, and then in the back of The One Hand... They don't even it, mention... an advertisement for The Six Fingers. There is an advertisement for The Six Fingers, so, but they I don't mean, mention it in the solicit of The One Hand at all. So, But, I mean, they, like it's clear by the time you finish the first issue of The One Hand that, like, oh something's up with this other book that's a tie-in. Yes. 
And I think it's super cool. I think it's really neat. And I'm uh, like, I like Dan Waters a lot. He's great, man. This, that should be really good. The THN trade of the week is blade volume one mother of evil. It is a soft cover trade paperback from Marvel. It's 128 pages for 1799 written by Brian Hill with art mostly by Ileana Casagrande. Here's your solicit blade, the vampire hunting vampire. Mm, yeah. Is that really what it said? That's what he is. He's a vampire. hunting. <laughs> he's vampire. not a vampire though. He's a daywalker. He's a vampire. Blade's not just a vampire, but it, it's just funny that that's what they, I mean, he's half drink. vampire. Yeah. I mean, sure. So he Blade, drinks the blood. vampire hunting vampire returns for a brand new era of thrilling action. True evil is patient. A dark ancient power has been simmering quietly for centuries. And when Blade himself is the one to unknowingly unleash it, Marvel's entire supernatural underworld will come out of hiding to demand he handle it or pay a pound of flesh for his mistakes. Bloodbaths, blackmail, and Blade. You won't want to miss this one. It collects Blade, current series, one through five. Uh, we are reviewing it in this episode. Uh, Blood Hunt is coming. You got to get caught up. Don't say anything else about this because we are about to talk about it. And if you want to know, oh. you can pay $1 a month to hear a complete review of us catching up on it. But I'll tell you what. I mean, I mean, spoilers. It. <laughs> I just, it's very good. I know. But <laughs> yeah, uh, Blade is exciting. Uh, we said, we said in the, in the extra that uh, they were up to number seven. I was wrong. Number eight came out today. Yeah. Well, at the time. It, well, at the time we recorded. Yeah. yeah. But number eight came out today and like, I immediately got all caught up on Blade after I read it. It's good time. Very excited about good this time. We're curious to hear what you nerd hunting nerds are reading next week. So let us know over at our Discord and be sure to put these comics in your poll list. If you want to read them along with us, because we're going to review them right here that's a, on our that's new comic exactly show. The, that's exactly the joke that I was going to make. Before we drop this episode in the donation box and write it off as a tax credit, it's time for a sneak peek at our Patreon Extra. You can get access to it when you support THN for as little as $1 per month. Let me tell you, some of the comics that we donated at our old shop, well, they were worth quite a bit, according to our write-offs. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny Greetings, patrons, and I hope you're ready for another exciting Cosmic Shortbox show. And you're saying, Cosmic Shortbox? Well, well, I thought there was a Cosmic Longbox. Ha! Let us not forget the Cosmic Longboxes. What do we say? Nephew? Younger brother? Or, Matt, is it a little bit of goo the Cosmic Longbox left behind and ended up becoming its own thing, like Carnage? Ooh. You know what? I think that could be right. We'd have to delve into its origins. Like maybe more. the cosmic long box, like when it when it went back to its you know cosmic nether space, at some point it like left behind a chunk, and that chunk grew into. Or we did a cosmic long box thing that was a little shorter, and we didn't even notice it, and that was actually the first appearance of the cosmic short box. Oh and man, much we didn't later, even recognize it. Somebody well, else. The look goes deep. Yeah, the somebody will be selling deep. that episode for way more than it's worth, even though it's yeah, not even yeah, the cosmic right, short box. Right. You know? <laughs> Regardless, the cosmic short box makes us read comics. They're just typically not as old and not as long. <laughs> 
right? The Cosmic Short Box is where we catch up on new comics. It's where we talk about limited series. It's stuff like that, right? Single arcs, if you, sure. if you will. It gets sick and tired of us reviewing one comic and never revisiting it. So today, in an attempt to get us excited, I'm putting excited in quotes. I'm putting quotes in quotes too, which is I'm crazy. excited. <laughs> For Blood Hunt! Are you excited for Blood Hunt? I don't know if I'm excited for Blood Hunt. I like. I'm. I'm morbidly. Yeah, I think it should be good. I'm morbidly interested. <laughs> I do like Jed McKay. Look, I, mar- the marketing aside, I don't see why. I, oh I yeah. wouldn't be excited. No. I like Jed McKay, and I like what's been going on in uh, Moon Knight. So. But yeah, today we're going to talk about the latest Blade series. We reviewed number one. We both very much liked it. We have not gone back since. The first storyline just ended a couple months ago with issue five. I believe we're up to issue seven now. Is that correct? Issue seven's the current issue. Okay. Yes. So there's going to be some spoilers here, but these are for comics that are months old, folks. I mean, so. Well, I mean, that. we did just recommend Blade Volume One in this episode. That's so. true. That's true. So now we're actually talking about it. Before we launch into it, though, where has Blade been? And I'm just going to say for the past year. We don't need to go beyond 2023, but like, where has, what has dude been doing up to this point? To my knowledge, uh, the last major kind of character arc for Blade saw him as a member of Jason Aaron's Avengers. Yeah. Where uh, through the course of uh, multiple storylines, he became the sheriff, so to speak, of a legally recognized vampire nation, which had taken residence in the uh, abandoned corpse of Chernobyl. Nobody was using it. So, you know. (laughs) <laughs> right. And uh, so, right. Uh, the UN uh, like recognized va- the vampire nation and they're like, okay, fine, you can have it, but we want a good guy to be your, you know, police officer, your law enforcement. And Blade promised and not to cut off Blade anybody's was, head. I don't know if that promise was made. Well, I mean, I would hope so if he's going to come be your, you know, your sheriff. Mm, and like, what'd I you mean, say? If you're, Murder. If you're, get, <laughs> if you're getting Blade, you're, if you're getting Blade, you should know what to expect. That could be true. That could be true. He's been helping Miles get ready for the stuff. He gave him a swanky new costume most recently in the pages of Miles Morales. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, g- that's, a, that's a guest appearance, but I haven't read that. But yeah, yeah, he, he gave Miles his own vampire hunting trench coat. He's popped up in Wolverine and Ben Percy's Ghost Rider as well. But now he's back on his own. He's got a brand new series. It is written by Brian Hill. Elena Casagrande, Miss Big House herself, is on pencils. And they look fantastic. And we're just going to jump right into it. Let's get to it. Blade number one came out. When did we, what issue did we review this on? Look that up while I, I can look it up real quick. Uh, while Matt looks it up because his internet is faster than mine, the cover is by Elena Casagrande as well. Colors are by Jordi Belair. And letters are by VC's Joe Sabino. Those credits will stay the same unless we mention otherwise. It's true. Blade number one we reviewed on episode 710. This is back in July, so not too long ago. But we're going to touch on it a little deeper here. About 18, a little over a year ago, 18, 19 months ago. So just as um, eight, yeah, 18, 19 weeks ago. Yeah, I was like, whoa, 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 months ago? <laughs> no, because every other, no, I don't know, man. Time is a flat circle, but yeah, not that long ago. <laughs> okay, cool. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for TGen 730. If you dig our new comic book review show, check out our YouTube channel. 
where you can subscribe to each of our shows separately. We got a back issue show. We got a gang hang. You'll love it. Or you can listen to them podcasts on YouTube Music next week. The back issue shows return. And we're going to read something we both missed in the past when we play Slack Issues. The Electra Assassin Edition. I'm excited. I've never read this comic. Guest starring Wooly Toots. If you need more THN in the meantime, join us for the THN Gang Hang. We do it Saturdays, 11 o'clock Central. We've been good about doing them almost every Saturday for a while now. Check out our Discord for details. Joe. Uh, hold on. Tell them what Off else the we can... We've done ser- we've done a few in a row. We've Let's done not four get in a row. Inside. That's the most we've ever done in a row, all right? <laughs> Joe, tell them what else they could do at our Discord. You can get in on the action before we even air the show with our episode discussion thread. You can argue about the continuity of the Twister cinematic universe. You can fan cast the voice of Herbie for the upcoming Fantastic Four movie. Matt and I both agree the only choice is Bobcat Goldthwait. Come on. <laughs> He's perfect. <laughs> or maybe you want to answer the question of the week. This week's question, in honor of the news that DC and Marvel will come together to reprint most of their old crossovers, <laughs> including Amalgam, come to find out some of the Amalgam books aren't in there for some reason. Weird. I wonder if they're I know. like let rights slip or something. Or? I mean, I wouldn't. I couldn't tell you what Weird. rights they're they're missing. But I don't know. you know, what is your favorite intercompany crossover and why? Crossovers between any two or more companies are fair game, not just Marvel and DC. Just be sure to tell us why you love it. Aliens versus Terminator versus Robocop versus Witchblade versus... Aliens versus Predator versus (laughs) Darkness versus Witchblade colon Overkill is my favorite. Uh, Easily. Yeah. Number one with a bullet. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. Matt and I only have so much creativity to go around. You can sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash Discord. And once you are there... No jerks are allowed, so I might need to assign you some permissions before you can participate in some things. That's right. You can post about any of our segments or send an MP3 submission for the comic pushes or for Ask a Nerd or for whatever to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And if you uh, play your cards right, we'll put you on the show. If you're new to this show and under the age of 30 and know who Guy Gardner is, I apologize, but I assure you... Just listen to some more and you'll get it. We're old guys. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast and it would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our patron, Ralph Belk the Three. We, we've got a few of these people. I didn't realize there's there, was, other Ralph Belks out there, there. were so many people that had like multiple relatives with the same name, right? If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron on patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. Ralph, we're not going to judge Ralph's one and two for not doing so, but we do thank you, okay? Well, I mean, Ralph, we understand that there can be only one, so we're really rooting for you. But Before we go, but our weekly shout-out, go. <laughs> That's I understand, but like yeah. in the race to become the one, we're rooting for Ralph I don't Ralph think Ralph cuts off the other Ralph's head and he gets their powers. You know, I don't. You don't know his relationship with those two. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to the legendary artist, inker, and Marvel UK editor Paul Neary, who passed away on Saturday at the age of 74, following a long illness. 
Neary began his career at Warren Publishing in the early 70s as an artist on titles like Eerie, Creepy, and Vampirella. As an editor, Neary hired a young Alan Moore and Alan Davis to reinvent Captain Britain, creating the version of the character we know today. Ugh. In the 90s, he hired future superstars like Brian Hitch, Dan Abnett, Salvador LaRocca, and Liam Sharp. And as an inker, the Eisner Award winner would go on to form long partnerships with Davis, Brian Hitch, working on titles like Detective Comics, Excalibur, The Authority, and The Ultimates. In a moving tribute to his longtime collaborator, Alan Davis described Neary as, quote, a mentor, a colleague, and a friend. Word to you, Mr. Neary. Thank you so much for leaving us with your incredible body of work. Legend. For a guy that had been around for that so dude. long, Ugh. like he was relevant as a creator. Yeah. Legend. I love Paul Neary. Ugh. When Paul Neary stopped inking Brian Hitch, I thought Brian Hitch's work went down. It did. And then Brian Hitch had to figure out how to do it better without Paul Neary. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. The guy was an immense talent. Yeah. R.I.P. Paul Neary. Until next time, True Believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might say some really sweet stuff about a dead person and then make a tasteless joke. I'm going to fight that urge. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing. I'm very proud of you. Yeah.